Houston, we've had a problem. I don't know whether you ever remember hearing that or not. Um, Jim Lovell, April 13, 1970, said those words. Nearly, nearly 56 hours into the mission to the moon, an explosion. I can't imagine what that must have been like. An explosion aboard the spacecraft plunged the crew into a fight for their survival. Within less than a minute, there was a, a cascade of system failures throughout the entire spacecraft. It was all at one time a monstrous, a, a monstrous failure, said the NASA flight controller. The spacecraft looped around the moon using its gravity to return to the Earth, and millions of people followed the drama on television. Eventually, the capsule did splice down in the Pacific Ocean, and in an article headed Apollo 13 from Disaster to Triumph, the BBC science reporter wrote this. He said, Although the mission was not a success from a conventional perspective, it was a triumph of ingenuity and determination. And Jim Lovell said, it showed the people of the world that even if there was a great catastrophe, it could be turned in to a success. Now, the supreme example of triumph coming out of apparent catastrophe of all times would have to be the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, what seemed to the world to be the, the ultimate defeat was, in fact, the ultimate triumph. And so as we transition towards what's next, knowing that God can, can, can leverage evil from, from um from good, why would we care about any, any, anyone else? I mean, you know, that's, that's what a lot of people think. You know, God's got it all under control. Why, why should I care? Shouldn't we just go into survival mode and get things back in order at all costs and forget everyone else? Well, Paul, in our study tonight, shows us in this letter that that's not the path that Jesus would take. He takes the road left traveled, the way of others first. At St. Bede's Episcopal Church in Santa Fe, New Mexico, there is only one door in that sanctuary. Only one, no other door. And over that door is a hand-lettered sign that reads, Servant's Entrance servant's entrance. There isn't any way in or out of that church except through the servant's entrance. Now that's not a bad reminder of the fact that every believer is called to serve our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we get the idea that, well, I'm not the pastor, I'm not the deacon, I'm not the Sunday school teacher, I'm not, I, I, I don't hold this position in church or that position in church, that, that we're not servants. But every one of us who know Christ as our Savior is a servant for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are servants in the church. And unlike most sports teams, the Lord's team does not have any bench warmers. 
It's not that we can just sit on the side and everything's going to be okay because the stars are going to carry things along. But every Christian is given a first string spot on the team with a vital role to fulfill. There isn't, there isn't one believer that does not have a vital role to, to, to play in, in the ministry of the church. And that's why it's so vitally important that, that, that we are here when, when we meet together, that we come together, and that we serve each other because there's someone that needs us. And we might not always know what it is, and it might just be the fact that, that we're there and, and, and we're talking to them or whatever, but we all have a vital role to fulfill. So a non-serving Christian is a contradiction of terms. There's no such thing as a non-serving Christian. So as we get into the book of Philippians, after the doctrinal high water mark of this letter where Paul speaks of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who left the glories of heaven to take on the form of a servant and to become obedient to death on the cross for our sake, in chapter 2 and verses 5 all the way through verse 11, Paul now turns to some almost seemingly mundane matters about sending Timothy and Epaphroditus to the, Philippi, uh, to, to the Philippian church and, and about his hope of coming personally if he's released from, from prison. And so after, after that high watermark of talking about Christ, now we're talking about travel plans. It almost seems mundane. It almost seems like, what, what is this? And this is one of those sections of scriptures that at first glance, you may wonder why God took up the pages of the Bible for, for the travel schedule of three men. But as we examine it tonight, I hope that you will see that the Holy Spirit uses it in a marvelous way to illustrate for us the truths that Paul has been presenting in this entire chapter. All the way through it. It's not like there's all of a sudden a disconnect from what he started off saying at the beginning of the chapter to the end of the chapter. No, it all, it all fits together. It all, it all comes together. And so these choice men whom Paul commends to the, to the Philippian church, Timothy and Epaphroditus, are two men worthy of imitating as we seek to serve the Lord. Along with Paul himself, they have much to teach us about Christian servanthood. And so they show us that if we cultivate a servant's heart, and if we endure a servant's hardship, we will receive a servant's honor. So those are the three things that we want to talk about tonight. First of all, we must cultivate a servant's heart. So our Savior did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, Mark 10, 45 records for us. So every Christian is the, is the blood-bought servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And being a servant of Christ is not an option. If you want to be more dedicated, it is the calling of every believer. So if you are not a servant of Jesus Christ, you cannot rightly call yourself a Christian. Because when we accept Christ as our Savior, we become a servant of Jesus Christ. But because we all are selfish by nature, 
We must cultivate this heart of a servant as we grow in Christ. So it doesn't automatically happen. There's a process here that we go through in our Christian life, and that's the importance of being together when the Word of God's being taught. That's the importance of, uh, of teaching expositor, expositionally like we teach through the scriptures so that we go through and we help people to grow and become more like Christ and, and to become more of a servant of Christ. So Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus illustrate men who had servant's heart as seen in two, in two dimensions. First of all, we see a servant's heart is centered on the things of Jesus Christ. So if I want to have a servant's heart, then, then my heart needs to be centered on the things of Christ. So the Apostle Paul was a man whose focus was on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 2 and verse 19. It begins here, he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. And then we jump down to verse 24, and we see almost the same thing when he says, But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. So it, it is Paul's way of saying, if it be the Lord's will. And I think we need to preface things in our life like that. Because we don't know what tomorrow holds. We, we don't know what's going to happen later on tonight. If God wills, we'll be back here on Sunday. The Lord wills. We're planning on being here. But, but, but we don't know. And so this is Paul's way saying, if it be the Lord's will, it shows that he did not make decisions based simply on common sense or on what he thought was best. You see, sometimes we, we make those kind of mistakes, don't we? We, think, we? we say, well, this is what I think is best, and then we find out later we really made a mess of things. And so it wasn't what he thought was best, but he submitted everything to the Lord and to his will. He wanted God's will to be done. And so when he mentions how Epaphroditus got well from his illness in, in verses 25 down to 27, he says, yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my needs, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death. But God, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And so you see, Paul didn't, Paul didn't say, well, thank goodness Epaphroditus got better. Boy, that was, a, that, that was a good turn of events, wasn't it? That all of a sudden he just got better. Rather, he said, God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also. And so when he instructed the church to welcome Epaphroditus, he tells them to receive him in the Lord with all joy, because God's mercy. So clearly, the Lord was the focal point of Paul's life and the focal point of Paul's ministry. I think if we're not careful, sometimes we get our eyes off on, on too many other things and we get weighed down by those things that we, we don't really get involved in the service that God wants us involved in because our focus isn't right. Well, Timothy, Timothy's focus was also on the Lord. 
Paul states that unlike many others, Timothy was not seeking after his own interests instead of those of Jesus Christ. There in verse 21, he says to us, um, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ. Well, he, he had begun talking about how Timothy was going to be sent to them, and that was because he sought the things of the Lord. So Timothy, Timothy served Paul in the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 22 goes on to tell us there, but you know his proven character, talking about Timothy, that as a son with his father, in other words, a spiritual son, Timothy was a spiritual son, and Paul was his spiritual father. He served me in the gospel. And so Christ and the gospel were at the center of Timothy's life also. Now, Epaphroditus also was a faithful servant who focused, whose focus was on the things of Christ. I mean, he had, he had pushed himself and pushed himself almost to the point of death to bring the gift to Paul from the Philippian church. And maybe he grew ill on the six-week journey going there and pushing himself almost beyond his limit in an effort to get to the apostle sites, or, or perhaps after he arrived. The Bible doesn't really tell us exactly when he got sick. It might have been after he arrived that he, he contracted some illness, but he, he kept pushing himself in his service to Paul in the, in, in the cause of the gospel. His longing and his concern for the church back in Philippi also revealed his servant heart for the things of Christ. So Paul calls Epaphroditus a minister to my needs. And he states that he had, had, had completed his, by his presence what the Philippians could not do in their absence in serving Paul. You see, sometimes we can't all go. Sometimes we can't all be there. But Epaphroditus went in the stead of the people of Philippi, and he ministered to Paul. And so, so we look at verse 25 there. Uh, he says, yet I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow laborer, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my needs. And jump down to verse 30 then. Uh, because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. So the reason it was lacking was because they couldn't all come to where Paul was at. Paul was in prison when he was writing this. And so, and so the people of Philippi couldn't come, but Epaphroditus went and Epaphroditus served in their place. And so the, the word translated minister and service come from the Greek word from where we get our word liturgy. And so in secular Greek, the, the, the word was used of a man who out of love for his city and his gods would finance a great drama or outfit a battleship. It, it has the, the flavor, if you will, of sacred service and worship. So every servant of Jesus Christ does what he does, whether giving or helping or speaking, 
as an offering to the Lord. This is our offering. This is our, this is our focus on him, and we're, we're giving it to the Lord. So a servant's heart is centered on the Lord Jesus Christ and on his work. So this focus on, on Christ and his work should not just be true of, of, of those who earn their living by the gospel. No, it's not, it's not that at all. Every Christian, however, doesn't matter how, how you earn a living, every Christian should live every day in fellowship with the Lord, in submission to his will, in obedience to his word, available to do what he wants us to do. So Christian service servants will be eager to talk about the great truths of the Bible with fellow Christians. They will be ready to tell lost people about the Savior and his work on the cross of Calvary. They watch for opportunities to please Christ by helpful deeds towards others. And so three attitudes marks Mark servants who are focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want to know whether or not you, you are servant, you'll see these three things in people. Number one, they are willing to be sent anywhere. Willing to be sent anywhere. It, 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 it wouldn't have been easy for, for Timothy to uh, leave his, his beloved family in the faith in order to go to Philippi, but he was willing to go if that was God's will. He would love to stay right there by Paul, but wherever you want me to go, Lord. It it hadn't been easy for Epaphroditus to leave the comforts of home and journey to Rome so that he could be with Paul there in prison in Rome, and he left the believers at Philippi. Now, it also would be difficult for him to leave Rome now that he's at Rome and return back home, but he was willing to go wherever the Lord wanted him to go. So have you told the Lord, I'm willing to go anywhere you want me to go? I remember when I was newly saved, I was just a a freshman in high school, I remember being presented at missions conferences about this idea that you need to be willing to go wherever the Lord wants you to go. And I thought, I don't want to go to Africa. Why is it everybody thinks of Africa? When we think about the Lord's going to send me someplace and we think of Africa, I don't want to go to Africa. (laughs) We just, we do that. I didn't want to go to Africa. But I did want to serve the Lord. And, And so... We need to be willing to say, Lord, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. It doesn't mean you're going to go to Africa. It might just mean you're going to go across the street. You're going to talk to somebody that you don't feel comfortable talking with, to share the gospel with. Number two, they are willing to serve anyone. And so Timothy served Paul, but he was willing to go and serve the, the, the church at Philippi. Epaphroditus served the church at Philippi, but he was willing to go and serve Paul. It reminds me of, of, of Philip who was being used of God to reach great multitudes in Samaria. If you remember back in the book of Acts in chapter 8, there were multitudes of people who were coming to know Christ as a Savior, but then the Holy Spirit wanted Philip to go 
out into a desert place. And it was there that God used him to reach an Ethiopian eunuch that was riding along in his chariot. He was willing to go. He's willing to leave, leave the big multitudes that were being saved and go to that one person out there in the desert. And so a servant of Christ isn't out to make a name for himself by, by speaking to large crowds only. He's available to his Lord to serve anyone that the Lord directs him to serve. Number three, they are willing to sacrifice anything willing to sacrifice anything. Timothy had given up his own interests to become a servant of Jesus Christ. Epaphroditus almost lost his life in his service for the Lord Jesus Christ. To the Ephesian elders, Paul, Paul later would write of his own ministry in Acts chapter 20 and verse, uh, verse 24. Um, he said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Acts 20, 24. So have you told the Lord, I'll give up everything, my desires, my ambitions, my comfort, my time, my money, I'll give up anything, Lord, so that I can serve you. Now, I've emphasized this point at length that a servant's heart is centered on the things of Christ because if you have any other motive or any other reason for Christian service, you will eventually burn out and you'll bomb out. You just drop out. You'll get angry and be hurt because people... People won't treat you right. You'll be frustrated and you'll grow weary of the hardships that you have to endure. You'll quit in disgust and disappointment if you're serving for any other reason than love for the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for you on the cross. So a servant heart must be consistently captivated by Christ. But then also a servant's heart puts others ahead of himself for the sake of Christ. The Apostle Paul was in prison facing possible execution. Timothy was his right-hand man, a faithful man who had served with Paul as a, as a child serving his father. We see that there again in verse 22. But, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. It would have been understandable if Paul, thinking of his circumstances, had, had said, I, I can't spare Timothy at this time. I need him here. He must stay right here with me. But instead, he was willing to send Timothy for the sake of the, the church of Philippi. The Philippians had been, been willing to serve Paul by giving monetarily and by sending their pastor, Epaphroditus, who himself had been willing to serve to the brink of death on Paul's behalf. And so we see people all over the place that are willing to do what needed to be done to serve Christ. Of Timothy, uh, again, Paul says there in, in verse 20 and 21, for I have no one like-minded 
who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Now these are hard words to understand. Because you would think that out of all of the faithful Christians in Rome, Paul wrote, Paul wrote Romans 16 about five years prior to this, where he greeted many faithful believers in Rome. Out of all of those faithful believers, he could have found some who were not willing to live for themselves, couldn't he? But that's not what he said. He said there is none. And what about Luke and, and, and Titus and, 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 and Trophimus and even Epaphroditus and, and Aristarchus? I mean, Paul must, have, Paul must have meant that of those available to him at that time as messenger, Timothy was the only one he knew who would genuinely seek the interest of others instead of their own. There, there are at least three ways that you can tell if you're putting others ahead of yourself. Number one, you will have heartfelt love. These verses are oozing with Paul's heartfelt love for Timothy and Epaphroditus and for the believers at Philippi. And also notice how Epaphroditus longed for the, the, the Philippians and, and was distressed the word is used of Jesus, the same distress that Jesus had in the garden of Gethsemane when he sweat great drops of blood as he thought about the anguish that he was going to go through on the cross. They, they had great distress because they had heard that he was sick. There are, some, there are some super spiritual Christians who try to remove all of the emotions from our Christian life. And they think that we just need to be tough and we don't have to be emotional and, and there's something wrong with us if we weep when we're, when we're singing or, or, or preaching the word or whatever. They, they think that spiritual maturity means being kind of um, um, you know, stoic and not showing any kind of grief or any kind of anxiety or, 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 or tenderness or tears or anything like that. But Paul here says how if Epaphroditus would have died, he would have been overwhelmed with the grief at the loss of this dear servant of God. Paul knew Romans 8.28. He wrote it. He knew that everything works out the way God wants it to work out. He also knew Philippians 4, 6, and 7 about not being anxious because he was going to write that also. And yet he didn't chide Epaphroditus because he was distressed over how the, the Philippian church felt about his sickness. Paul wasn't afraid to be human and to express his deep feelings for others. Number two, you will show genuine concern. This, this spills over from a heartfelt love. But here I'm, I'm especially wanting to focus on Timothy's genuine concern for these people that he was not seeking his own interest, but he was seeking the welfare of the church at Philippi. And sad to say, many who serve the Lord, including some in full-time Christian ministry, do not, uh, they, they, they do not necessarily do it with the right attitude. In fact, they do it with mixed motives. 
<coughs> they're out for the strokes that others can give them. They're, they're like being, they, they, they just like being in the limelight. Sometimes they manipulate people for their own advantage and gain. Number three, you can work cooperatively with others. Timothy served with Paul like a, a child his father. And Paul and Epaphroditus worked together harmoniously in the gospel cause. You see, to do that, you, you've got to die to self and you've got to put others ahead of yourself for the sake of the work of Christ. And some people are just simply not team players unless they are the boss. Even though, though Paul was clearly the leader among these men and was about 25 years older than Timothy, we don't know for sure how old Epaphroditus was at the time, he didn't lord it over them. He humbly called Epaphroditus his brother, his fellow worker, his fellow soldier. He deflected any glory from himself and he lifted up these two faithful servants. So we must cultivate a servant heart, center on the things of Christ, putting others ahead of ourselves for the sake of the gospel. And number two, we must endure a servant's hardship. Serving Christ isn't easy. The, the term fellow soldier implies a warfare. It brings, it brings us under the, 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 um, the attacks of the enemies who want to hinder the cause of Christ. And so just as a soldier must go through boot camp so that they can learn to endure the hardship that they will encounter on the battlefield, so the Lord's servants must be tested. And so Paul mentions Timothy's proven character there in verse 22. And the word means approved by testing. It is the same word used in Romans chapter 5 and verses 3 and 4, where Paul says that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance brings about proven character. A product that has been approved by testing is a reliable product. So either the manufacturer or the consumer advocates has submitted the product to, to severe conditions in order to see if it's going to hold up. And, and you can know that a product won't give out just when you need it the most. And so Timothy had endured enough testing that Paul knew that he was a faithful servant. He was a proven servant, testing our hardship in Christ's service can come from many, many sources. One, the hardship of persecution, both from within and without. And so Paul was in prison due to the persecution from without, but he was also under attack from those who preached the gospel from envy and self-ambition, he tells us in chapter 1 and verses 15 and 17. Perhaps they are the ones he refers to in chapter 2 here in verse 21. They, they claimed to be serving Christ, but in reality, they were serving themselves. Alexander McLaren said this, that many a professing Christian, professing Christian life has a veneer of godliness nailed thinly over a solid balk of selfishness. Paul knew the keen disappointment of professing Christians 
who were not faithful because they were living for themselves. It's often more difficult to bear the attacks from those within the flock than it is to bear the attacks from those on the outside of the flock. Because you expect the world to be against you. But you don't expect fellow believers to be against you. And so it becomes harder. Then the hardship of work itself. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 23 down through verse 24, Paul cataloged the hardships that he experienced as a servant of Christ. He said persecution and physical hardness and dangers that brought him to the brink of death. And on top of everything else, intense concern for all the churches. So he goes through this whole list of everything that he had gone through. And then he said, and, and besides that, the churches, the hardship of the churches. So in our text, he mentions his concern for the, for the Philippian church in, in chapter, chapter 2 here in verse 28. He says, therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. He mentions Epaphroditus risking his life. It's a, it's a gambling term to throw the dice, as well as his concern about the church. So the, the work of the gospel involves both physical and emotional hardship that just has a way of wearing us down. And so we must be prepared for the hardship in serving the Lord and, re, and, and rely on his sustaining grace. We don't have the strength to do it on our own. We rely on God's sustaining grace, not on our own strength and resources. And so I would encourage you to read the biographies of great saints who have gone before us. I think as you read those, you, it will move you to tears as you read of the, the incredible hardship that God's people have gone through to take the gospel to the unreached parts of this world. And in the, early, in, in, the, in the early years of missionary work, in fact, in Africa, only, only one out of four missionaries survived the first term of service. One out of four. They were plagued by diseases, by hostile people, by tribal warfare, by government hindrances, and yet they kept going. And so our hardships are nothing compared to their. Why go through such hardship? If we cultivate a servant's heart and we endure a servant's hardship, we will receive a servant's honor. That's why we do it. We don't seek the honor for ourselves, but for our Lord who alone is worthy. But he promises, those who honor me, I will honor in 1 Samuel 2.30. He will reward every faithful servant with the crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4.8 tells us. Any hardship we suffer now in serving Christ will be well worth it when we see his face and we hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter in to the joy of your master. It'd be worth it all. And so Paul here honors Timothy by sending him as his own representative. He honors Epaphroditus by his, 
his, his commendation and, and tells the church to hold men like him in high regards. John Calvin said, the devil is intent on undermining the authority of godly pastors, and so the church must hold such men in high regard. Did you notice how these seemingly mundane words about travel schedule of these men illustrated what Paul has been saying throughout chapter 2? He has told us that, that we should do nothing for selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind to regard others more highly than we do ourselves, not looking out for our own interests, but for the interests of others in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2. And then he gives us the great example of our Lord in verses 5 to 11, who laid aside his rights, took on the form of a servant, and became obedient to death on the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him. Jesus had a servant heart, and he endured a servant hardship, and he received a servant's honor. And that's the pattern for all who serve Christ. And so let's all strive to become imitators of Timothy and Epaphroditus, but not only them, but also the Apostle Paul, and even beyond him, our Lord Jesus Christ. There should only be one entrance to the church, and that is the servant's entrance. Let's pray.